This episode is sponsored by Truflation. Independent economic and financial data in real time on chain at truflation.com. see in uh, like new hampshire like the lowest recorded temperatures or something mount washington or something no what is it what oh yeah yeah to the extent that it's you know the the joke was it was so cold that uh, it made it into a different level of the atmosphere because the density changes it technically changes like the, the the delineation between one part of the atmosphere and the other so it was so cold that it, it literally went into a different uh, sphere of the atmosphere. Interesting. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I mean, I, I remember I was talking to, uh, yeah, Bridgewater. There you go. It's two degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. You're talking to Bridgewater, you said? Yeah. yeah. Actually, no, it's two degrees Celsius. Which is only 30 degrees. And so Toronto, I mean, I was, uh, when I was flying out to Europe in, it was minus 30 Fahrenheit in Toronto (laughs) or in New York, I think it hit minus 10. I mean, it's going crazy, the whole weather everywhere. And then here there's not enough snow. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) that's crazy. Well, I I remember this was, uh, this was a long time ago, but there was, uh, I think it was like 2013. There's a polar vortex that came through Canada and like northern United States. Yes. And it was the first time I experienced like negative 30 degrees C, which w- with wind chill was like negative 40 C, which is apparently routine if you live in Canada. But at least where I was in the US, it wasn't quite routine. And it just, it, it becomes incomprehensible. There's a, there's a temperature below which your body just doesn't know how to respond. And it's just like, get me out of here. So you couldn't yeah. spend more, literally more than like 30 seconds outside before something just starts to ache and you're just, you're in sort of semi-shock. That's and I crazy. remember, I remembered having to wake up at like half seven and that I had literally like an exam, like a final exam. And I remember walking there and almost being late because I had to take a detour to literally just get into a building and warm up because I physically couldn't get there. It was so cold. And they had these exams in these uh, gymnasiums. So literally, this was this is like pretty standard uh, uh, university stuff in the U.S. These final examinations, they would literally empty out like the track and field um, parts of the university, and they would hold yeah. it because these these courses would have literally like a thousand students, four, five, yeah. six different sections, and because they're worried about leaking exams, they would literally have every single person take the exam at the same time in these monster rooms. I mean, you're, you're literally taking it on a football pitch. And it was, wow. of course, freezing cold, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. and um, they were like, yeah, no, that's not a problem. And, uh, <laughs> and we I did it. I can't hold my pen. It's like I literally <laughs> couldn't. I literally couldn't. I had I to know, go I out and buy, yeah, yeah, buy these, uh, like, uh, gloves that, like, you could use them for, like, reasonable penmanship. Yeah, and they, they were like, I don't care. 
And yeah. funny enough, the proctors didn't even stay in the room. They're like, here are the exams. And they would just leave. <laughs> I'm like, where are you going? They're like, well, it's too cold in here. <laughs> but the, those are the days. Um, those are the days. Oh, man. You know, we were talking, I was just talking about, I mean, I've given our, co- our talks and our chats, right? And, and sort of this uncut series. One of the things that, you know, sort of, you look at that and, and you look at school education, right? There's a lot of chat about AI is going to replace teachers and stuff like that. But in the end, one thing that, you know, in those days, it was like, you were left on your own, man. Fucking tough it up, man. Just deal with it. You know, it's like, and you would sit there, your fingers would freeze, and but you'd still work through it, right? Because it was just sort of, I don't know, somehow you were just, <laughs> you were following like orders or whatever, right? We were just. No, and uh, there was no pushback from the students, even when it was, uh, I'll tell you no. another example. Our computer science yeah. um, courses, uh, they would, our exams would be in this great music hall. And um, again, for the same reason, because they wanted everyone to take the exam at the same time and I make sure it was fair. And of course, you know, what's one thing that's missing from like a big theater well, desks, so you can actually take the exam on. And so you would, yeah. they would give you like pieces of cardboard or like pieces of wood to put on your lap on which you would take the exam because they didn't actually yeah, have yeah, a desk. Yeah. You would sit and imagine sitting yeah. just in a theater. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody complained. Nobody complained. Nobody we just went in right? and did like, it. <laughs> oh, but the situations were adverse. I couldn't do that oh. properly. Oh, I want to retake it. And it's like, I need a, we need a grade, you know, a compensation, you know, ski. <laughs> we just did it. I remember, exactly. Yeah. Oh, here's another one. I remember, um, so I think it was one of the maths courses and one of the students, uh, like after they say, uh, sort of pen down and you, you, you have to stop writing. And one of the students refused to sort of give away their exam. And one of the graduate assistants literally came like running up the stairs and like almost tackled the person to take the paper away that was how serious they were and nobody thought ill of it they were just like okay whatever and you had like literally as like a, a, a one of the proctors and the students wrestling for an exam and at the end they were like yeah that's fine we'll we'll take it as is you can't you can't have this stuff today this would this would instigate 10 different lawsuits if, if that was the case exactly right it's like really but what does that mean right i mean it means that sort of you, I mean, I just look at also, and I don't translate that into sports, you translate that into the business world, etc. right? It's like, you're now sort of, because you adjust everything, oh, the weather was really bad, you know, we'll compensate, we'll give you a bonus, you know, you get half a grade better because of the weather conditions. Oh, and it was raining outside, you didn't sleep well, so we'll give you another half point. So you get all these credits in, in advance actually doing the exam. So in essence, you know, you're also seeing the same around, oh, you know, sort of with, you know, climate, ESG compliance, etc. that might, you know, sort of you're going through, everything is being brought down to mediocrity. You can't be hyper competitive. You can't be the full best you want to be because you have to moderate it a bit because you have to have, make sure that you have the right masseuse on the team to look after your muscles. If you're too good, then you make somebody else look too bad. Uh, you know, sort of things like that. And I was just thinking about it from a, a sports perspective as as well as from a, a business perspective where you can't hire the best person for the job anymore. You have to hire a, a 
a diverse team. You have to sort of make sure you fill all the sort of uh, tick the boxes before you actually worry about have we got the best team, the most competitive team to do the best job and reward them based on meritocracy versus on 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 whatever conditions you want to reward them. Um, and and you're seeing that across the board somehow, right? I, I don't know, or is it just me sort of seeing this and going through these no, notions? Absolutely not. Well, first, I'll I'll give you the uh, the the answer to the easy bit. I'll tell you where we'll go. Yeah. We'll go absolutely nowhere. I mean, that's that's kind of how it works, right? Yeah, then the world is becoming a crab, right? We're just crabbling along on the flat. We're never going to go up and down. We're not going to have any new growth. We're not going to have any volatility. We're not going to have any forward momentum. And it's going to be, I take your job, you take my job, right? It's like fucking red ocean water. It's no <laughs> growth. Move the economy forward. I'm creating a whole new blue ocean opportunity. New people are going to come in, new jobs. Whilst I can still hold on to my job, you're creating new jobs. You're creating new opportunities, right? And, and moving the needle forward to hit a 4% growth ratio that's going to generate new revenue, new opportunities, and they're going to pay new taxes and to pay the debt, right? It's like, I mean, the, the, e the, easiest, yeah, the easiest example, and it, it has always happened around the advent of any new technology, the, from the horse buggy to the car, from vacuum yep. diodes, uh, from obviously uh, open sourced AI. The, you always get this sort of Luddite um, uh, reactionary yep. component, which is like, Oh, but what's going to happen to all the people who drive the horses, they drive the buggies and the, yeah, and exactly. the horse. It's like, what are you on about, right? It doesn't make any sense. It's like, well, yeah. we have to worry about these people. No, no, no. The point is not for people to, to be employed. The point is for people to be productive, right? And, yeah. and, and, and for them to be able to do more with less, not for them, not just for the sake of existing and, and doing the job. So this, this has yeah. always been, this has always existed because there's a fraction of people who want to produce. And there is, unfortunately, a much larger fraction of people who want to consume. Yeah, exactly. Okay? Yeah. And you can think of employment and very lurk. much the same. <laughs> and lurk, yeah. and lurk. I mean, the, the yeah. internet is full of them. So, but yeah. to, to answer your point about, um, you know, am I the only person sort of noticing this in the room, uh, as Stefan? Of course not. As early as, uh, I mean, you know, you can find manuscripts of pretty much any generation that describes this, but the one that, uh, the one that for my generation was interesting was, um, and it was spearheaded by, uh, Glenn Seaborg, this fellow who won the Nobel prize in, um, in chemistry. And it was a okay. congressional report. I believe, I think it was 1983, uh, very famous. It's called the, uh, it's a nation at risk. It was commissioned by Ronald Reagan. And they talk about, mediocrity in the American education system. This was in 1983, oh. right? Wow. And it starts with the most beautiful, I actually recommend everyone sort of read that. It's like two or three pages. You don't have to read the whole report, just the introductory bit um, from the commission and summarizes their finding and their philosophy and says, we are a nation at risk. A wave of mediocrity is spreading across our students, right? They were concerned. They were like, okay, forget all of the private market, forget all of the chairs and the couches and the cigarettes, all of that. Let's worry about uh, government functions. So uh, what's useful to have as a, as a government? A standing army, a navy. Turns out something like a quarter of all of uh, people in the Navy or, or officers and uh, uh, um, enlisted personnel in the Navy couldn't read above like an eighth grade level. To the, and that was a problem, not because they were worried that these people wouldn't become the next Shakespeare. It's because they were worried that they couldn't read basic instructions. 
They couldn't literally, like you would, when you're part of the uh, armed forces, a big part of your job is you're, hand, you're handed down a list of things to do and you just do them verbatim or you follow them verbatim and you don't, that, there's really not a lot. Yeah, to you it. Don't, don't question it yeah. anymore. Their worry was that these people couldn't even comprehend the list of instructions. That was literally a worry in the, in the report. It said that. It said this is, this is a national uh, security problem because the, these guys who we put on nuclear submarines can't even follow instructions. Okay, that is a problem, right? And then uh, the, the, I would say the, <laughs> the, the other version, the more modern version of that was this um, pretty interesting book that came out a few years ago, The Coddling of the American Mind. I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, no, also, I don't. I'm just I'm looking it up at all these now. Man. Yeah, well, coddling the, uh, of the American mind. Of the American mind. I'll I'll put them all in the uh, um, in the show notes or on on Twitter or whatever. I I find that to be more helpful. Um, and he talks about this at the university level from what you were talking about before. Just this idea of is it even can we even contemplate just going to university and having free conversation about anything that was kind of the point of university where you were literally you go there you're allowed to just sit there and discuss any idea and from an intellectual yeah. perspective yeah. right completely objective totally uh, no yeah. ad hoc we're just here to talk about ideas he says this is not even a thing anymore you can't even do that he talks about the history of what happened with the university of chicago you should look it up and um university of chicago and the california system and how all of this has been completely upended and, and it actually removes it, it completely removes the the purpose of the modern university because we we definitely don't need um, basic generic courses in elementary mathematics or English or anything like that. You can get that off YouTube. That that is done and dusted. Yeah. If you wanted to learn, yeah. uh, you know, the basic ideas of differential calculus, some guy figured this out like a decade ago. It's called you know on on by posting it on YouTube, right? Uh, Khan Academy. I don't know if you remember that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. I remember Khan Academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he solved that problem. It is no longer an issue. If you found yourself yep. walking down the street and somebody put a gun to your head and said, "Hey, I, you need to you need to learn about in uh, you know intermediary or basic yeah. differential calculus," you're like, "No problem," and you just go do that. Okay, so yeah, the university is not offering you that anymore. What the university is yep. offering, in principle, is a space where you can discuss ideas essentially without any finger pointing and with pretty much complete liberty, right? The only yep. um, constraint on what you can discuss at, at a university level should be is, you know, do we have enough time to talk about this? That really yep. should be the only constraint. You just sort of prioritize it based on what we think is interesting and people can talk about it. This is literally the point of the modern university. Everything, I mean, even that is in, in one way being uh, disintermediated. But the, the reason why it's interesting is because you have somewhat of a selective process that brings in not necessarily prepared people, but interested people. The, the, the thing I find interesting about the modern university now is it's kind of the opposite. They bring in people that are able to check the boxes, but are not necessarily interested in it. I mean, the, the, one of the professors that taught me mathematics a very long time ago, he, he had this quote or he had this thing that he would say that I thought was very interesting. He taught us mathematics right after um, economics. There was a course in microeconomic theory. And right after, in the same room, the lecturer from economics would leave and he would just come in and he would talk about mathematics. And one time he came in and he saw something about uh, the laws of supply and demand and some goods do sort of don't, in, in the 
in the classical interpretation, some goods sort of don't obey the, the, the law of supply and demand. Yeah. They're called Veblen goods. Uh, the, yeah. the, some example of this, or a good example of this would be like fancy watches, right? The more expensive they are, the more people want them, things like that. More demand, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. which sort of violates the intuitive uh, laws of supply and demand. Um, and, and he comes and he says, well, I have, a, I have some, uh, another uh, uh, type of good. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's very interesting, which is uh, the more you buy of it, the less you actually want uh, to have it. it. And I was like, what, what is this? What is this puzzle? And he said, education. Education is like that. Like the, the, the more time and money you spend on education, the less you want to be there. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting, right? Interesting. You, you look, at, you look yeah. at the university level and most people who are at university paying 50, let's say a private university, 40, 50, 60,000 dollars a year. Most of them don't even want to be there. <laughs> don't even go to class there. Anything, right? <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, that well, that is so, so curious. So, okay, so the university system is not even very good at filtering who's interested. Okay, so that's a problem. Yep. And to those who are interested, they're not actually learning what it is that would be useful. Generally, you lose them at the very basic level. It's just, uh, I mean, as a as a personal example. The majority of time I spent at university was not even at lecture halls or at classrooms interacting with people. It was mostly just sitting at home reading the book because that was much more expedient. Yeah, same, why, same. Yeah, same. Why, why on earth would I go to a lecture hall and spend an hour listening to something you could cover in two pages in a textbook and that's it? And there were better uses of my time. And I suppose- and you need and you need to revise it anyway, right? So you need to know it inside and out and they all the exams, you know, it's like, anyway, yeah, comprehend it. I mean, there was no way you'd learn anything by just sitting there and somebody talking at you. You had to, you had no. to tackle the material and and challenge it and write it and and yeah. and nego- almost negotiate with the ideas. So, in no yeah. way was this going to happen to the lecturer. And so, I found myself genuinely like the only times I would be paying attention at during lecture was just to make sure that there is nothing that the lecturer uh, pointed to that I wasn't aware of. Or that yeah. I ha- that it wasn't in the textbook because sometimes they did, but because it was so commoditized, ninety nine percent of the material was already covered in the textbook. So, so even from year one, I just found myself asking like, "What is the point of this?" And this seems like a, such a slow pace as well. Like, this is a we're covering. <laughs> they'll tell you here's a textbook. It's about five hundred pages worth, and we're going to cover it over the span of <laughs> three, no, no no three years, <laughs> three years. So three three academic years or whatever, right? You're going to take this is one book, the very famous uh, like advanced mathematics book, and I think it was a bit longer than I think it was like a thousand pages. And they were like, yeah, by the time you go to graduate school in mathematics, you would have finished this book. I was like, it's a thousand pages. It so it's going to take me five years to read a thousand pages. What is this? The Holy Bible? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So so again, you saw this idea of, uh, of okay, so you're you're losing the you're losing pretty much everyone at this point. People who are interested, yeah. you're losing. People who are not interested, well, they don't care anyway. So it's like, what is the point of all of this? So that, that is the problem. Yeah. You're producing an extremely unproductive labor force. And more importantly, you're wasting their time and money. So there's an opportunity cost. There's money. There's an alignment cost, right? When you, when you tell people that the only road to success is you have to get in debt and you have to go to university for four years and do, not, do basically nothing. And after you come out, then you could begin thinking about what it is that you want to do for the rest of your life. And there's this idea of careerism that whatever it is that you pick at age 17 to study or age 18 to study and then go into the field is what you end up doing for the rest of your life. 
it, it's like so many like compounding factors that like failure is almost a guarantee at this point. Like this, you it's almost astonishing if somebody comes out of that system and does well because so much yep. is sort of already going against you. Um, so all, all of this is to say your point about, you know, uh, am I insane for thinking this? Absolutely not. I think this is really quite, um, quite obvious. Yeah. I think, you know, if I go back to, and, and, you know, looking at university, what was the real value add of university was the ability to have these crazy debates, right? You had crazy ideas and you would try to put a mathematical formula behind that. You would try to, you know, have dissents associated with that. You would have a counter argument. You have debate pros and cons. You would constantly try and flesh this out. Would it be physically possible? You'd stand in front of a whiteboard and try to calculate stupid things. I mean, I remember one of the things, teleportation, right? You saw on Mars, you saw, you know, on Star Wars, you'd see, or, or you'd see teleportation, Star Trek, sorry. And then you'd have the, it's like, fuck, wouldn't that be great to travel? You know, it's like, what would it take to do that, right? And then you try and break down the human molecule down to sort of atomic size, digitize it somehow into a modem, flesh it across into something, and then compose it again. What would it take physically to actually, you know, dissemble a human? I mean, just all these debates that you had. You don't have time to do that when you're working in a real world, right? You don't have the counter brains to help you push that narrative further and possibly explore that. And if you don't have that freedom, it's not the classroom. Like you said, right? I mean, I learned all my books in the library. I would just go to the library, read the books like crazy, mark them up, summarize them, and then go do my exams, right? But you were there and over a cigarette break or a coffee break, you would then chat with somebody around, oh, what did you think of that? I didn't quite get that. How did you do that? And then you talk about it, you debate it, and then you go off into some you know, we, you know, tangent, you know, I don't know. <laughs> um, but that was, it was such a yeah. luxury, such a luxury. And it's a it's shame. Such a luxury. Yeah. Shame that, um, A, it's only confined, like it's only confined to the university setting and B, yeah. that most people will never even experience this. But, but you feel, I feel that it, it's evolved, right? So today we have much more time. We have many more channels, right? You've got like, us, this uncut show. I mean, we're talking about sports. We're talking about supplements. We're talking about tokenomics. We're talking about university degree, right? So we have the ability to philosophize in different areas. You've got Joe Rogan. You've got Lex Friedman. You've got all these different perspectives and views, and, and you're getting much more input from an intellectual stimulation perspective that I feel that, yeah, it just puts into more and more into question the value of universities if you cannot have this debate anymore. But that's the saving grace. And it's the that that is actually the debate the for the de- yeah, exactly yeah, yeah yeah. It's the debate for the debate's sake, right? It's not the debate for it's it's going to be reality, right? No, but it's just for the sake of debating it out, right? I mean, I don't yeah, know. The, the I, I just feel the scholastic process is extremely important in a so, ex- yeah. exploring the sort of edges and limits of ideas. Most ideas, wrong or right sound fine yeah. at the core like if you add yeah. if you find the right example they sound reasonable or entertainable right but you have to take take them to their logical extremes and see if they hold and that's sort of that's how you end up with general principles and that's how you end up with an idea that sort of holds water right but if you're not allowed because of the university setting or because of the way that we sort of do schooling uh today yeah. if you're not allowed to explore these benefits then then it's completely useless but the saving yeah. grace is that you now have effectively free and abundant 
ways of doing this, the podcast that you mentioned, the free form, um, um, the back and forth that people do now, it's starting to rise as a medium. But remember, you know, five years ago, podcasts weren't even a thing. Let's be real. It was a very fringe internet thing. I mean, I remember the feature on, yeah, the, on the, true. the iPods when they came out. They were like, oh, we have this podcast thing. Nobody even sort of knew what it was. Um, <laughs> funny enough, Amazon really tried to do this, uh, right? They tried to take over like the the uh, uh, podcasting slash audio business for a long time. They essentially, they were trying to do this for a while, except that it was almost like too early in the same way that their search engine was a bit too early. Interesting. Fun fact, Amazon was actually the first to try and uh, produce a real search engine product well before Google. But again, uh, too early for his time, I suppose. Um, uh, Invent and Wonder, I think is the name of the book. Uh, one of the many books written about the history of Amazon, if somebody's interested. Um, so it's, it's anyway, so, uh, like in like most cases, you have a, 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 like a structure or an organization or a schema that's not producing the right result. You just have a free market. And the free market gives you an alternative that's better and cheaper and faster. And in this case, it's the podcast medium. And it's not surprising that something like the ones that you mentioned, Joe Rogan or Lex Friedman are yeah. some of some of the most popular, if not the most popular venues for conversations in the history of mankind, period. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's, 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 it's largely just the ability to have this open debate across any type of topic, right? Where, you know, I mean the most, yeah. Anyway, I mean this, this, yeah, it, it's it's just sad to see that you you still have to pay this fifty thousand um, dollar a year bill and you don't actually get much for it, right? And um, yeah, in the terms of of the sense, you know, um, that you don't challenge the mind as much as the cerebral, you know, challenge that you get when you have these conversations and the, you know, and I find that you know the debates sometimes you're really under pressure. You then are really forced to go deep and think, how do I get out of this, right? It's like, how do I, you know, come up with an alternative solution? And that thought process in desperation comes up with the best ideas. Under pressure, the human nature performs best. And we're taking away all the pressure. We can't handle the pressure. It's too much pressure. Anytime the pressure gets too big, oh, no, 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 we can't handle the pressure. Oh, no, no, we don't want the pressure. It's like too much. We, we won't be creative when we're under pressure. It's like, <laughs> it's like the, but the whole point is to be under pressure because that's when we are at our best and our most creative. Yeah, and if, if nothing else, it gives you an avenue not to come up with new ideas or to accept new ideas. It's actually mostly to reject old and useless and unfounded ideas. That's really what yeah, pressure gives you, right? That's the other thing. Creativity yeah. and, and the process of wisdom and growing up, all of that, it's actually founded by the rejection of old and useless ideas. This is, has been yeah. true in science, it's been true in the arts, it's been true in literature. And if you, if you don't subject yourself to that uh, intellectual pressure, like, like you will like to call it, then you just never ended up rejecting. And we have a, a set of really stupid ideas that float around that people accept, <laughs> yeah. accept as it's being, like, yeah, of course. And, and a, a, a very good example of this would be um, uh, what we talk about all the time, just the complete lack of basic understanding in like nutritional science or in like personal health. Yeah. Or in, like, yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. very yeah. basic things that, um, I mean, a very good example of this, something that you and I have talked about offline before 
like these fad diets, right? You have people that say, oh, you know, I want to do this ketogenic diet or somebody wants to, I want to do Atkins or I want to do low carb, high fat, low fat, high carb, protein only, carnivore. Uh, I won't eat anything for six days. I'm like, whoa, whoa, just like calm the fuck down. Okay. Let's take a step back. Just ask yourself what it means to, to like consume nutrition, like consume things of nutritional value, what it means for you to have metabolic processes. Like you are a living being or you, you have organisms inside you that need certain molecules to function as an organic system. Okay. What are these molecules? We've survived as a species for roughly about 200,000 years. So funny enough, we already have a calibrated uh, uh, system that can do this for us. Like if we, if we do nothing, you, you're, you're not taught to eat, right? This is you're, the same way you're not taught to breathe. There are certain things that no. you, they are imprinted uh, in the like evolutionary genome, essentially. Okay. Yeah. It's just something that you do. Okay. So we, we're pretty close to the answer already. This doesn't require leaps, great intellectual leaps. We pretty much can gravitate to what we, what we know is good for, or what we empirically observe is good for human beings. So, Let's just like not make shit up for a second and let's just understand what it means to have good nutrition. And you've had for a very long time these phases of extremely unhealthy, unscientific, um, irrational for the most part, diets that people seem seem to, for no other reason, follow because um, they're either trendy or they seem to have, or they seem to be new, right? That there's this conception that like, since the dawn of man, we haven't figured out how to be on a proper diet and a proper regimen. And, and somebody right now has figured out a way to do it. And historically, if you look at the single studies that have backed these things, they are, are almost either like unscientific, incomplete, or straight up fraudulent. Like the high fat, low carb stuff. If you look at some of the studies that were in that essentially uh, were underpinning this thesis, they were completely wrong or just fraudulent. The same is true with a lot of the stuff that is published out there uh, as, as literally like dietary recommendations from government agencies. They say, this is what we think yeah. you should do. This is the kind of diet you should have. And you yeah. look at them and you're like, this is absolutely ridiculous, what? right? What do you think? Like, where did you get this yeah. from? Did you see this <laughs> chart? I'm sure you can find it. The one that's like, it puts, it ranks in, in terms of like nutritional value, um, the kind of things that you should eat. And it's got like, like breakfast cereal ab- above like oh and, no no and like no. rice cakes not rice like Krispy Kreme stuff it's got that on top and then all the way at the bottom it's got like steak it's like yeah don't worry about like eating steak it's probably not good for you you should instead eat like breakfast cereal I'm like dude what world do you live in right I mean this is not this is not great uh, science that you need to understand in order to figure out that this is probably not reasonable. And there's one that just came out recently, and that's why I mentioned it. I don't know. I didn't. I, I didn't see that one. But um, yeah, I mean, to me, it, it, it's yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at one now. It's just like it's got it grains at thirty percent, fruits, fish, meat, fifteen percent. I don't know. It's I don't know what this. I, I can't <laughs> understand. Eight glasses of water per day. It's like, but it's like yeah, yeah. I mean. There's so yeah, you know the whole food element, and to me, it's it's it, it it sort of all comes back to I think, yeah, the human psychology, right? The need to 
um, we don't want to take responsibility. And I was looking at, you know, if you're in crypto, you know, you, your, your keys, your coins, right? But also your fucking keys, your coins, right? <laughs> so it's like, you lose your keys, you've lost your coins, right? And so in a way, everybody in crypto is their own banker. So everything a bank does with your money, when you give it to the money, they manage it around and they give you 0.5% interest. You know, so, but either way, they're looking after it for you. They need to set up all the security protocols so they don't lose it for you. They need to manage liquidity. So when you move in and out, they need to help you transfer. They do all of that for you, right? I mean, that's, that's been the past and you pay for that, right? You only you pay and you pay an interest and, and they make all the money with your money, right? So it's like, but, and so in crypto, we've decided to take that on, but we have nobody to blame. I can't go, oh, the banker fucked up, man. It's like, oh, oh, it's like, you know, I left my phone in the taxi. Oh, 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 the taxi driver drove off with my phone. You know, it wasn't my mistake that I left it in there. But there's always somebody else to blame, right? And I think we've, and, oh, oh, they put the nutrition. They told me cornflakes was the best thing since sliced bread to eat. And it gives me all that nutritional value, right? Not to mention that sliced bread is super unhealthy as well. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, I was going to say, it didn't get any better than that. <laughs> Well, precisely, precisely. Um, Ag- agency, but, right? Agency, self-sovereignty yeah, in decision-making yeah, yeah, and just taking responsibility saying, true. listen, I have to do is there are certain things in life that I have to do. I'm just going to figure them out. And if I, if I do the process right, and if I think about it, and if I reason about it and I go to make these decisions, if they're correct, then I benefit and I prosper. If I'm incorrect, yeah. then I suffer. And then I, I reverse course, right? Like, yeah, yeah. like barring you like literally dying. You can probably reverse most of these decisions. We're talking about chronic, yeah. Yeah. chronic decisions. We're not talking about anything acute. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend yeah. you just operating on yourself, just taking out the scalpel and, and deciding to do, you know, uh, open heart surgery on yourself. <laughs> probably not a great idea because, yeah. yeah, because the risk reward is not there. You might, you know, die. You might expire. So, but dieting isn't like that, right? Uh, exercise isn't like that. Supplementation, uh, chronic disease—they're not really like that. These are things that you can change over time, and you can reason about, yeah. and you can experiment yeah. with yourself, right? what feels good, what doesn't feel good. You can even better, you can be actually quantitative about it. You can go in. One of the miracles of modern medicine is that it, it is extremely cheap today to get a complete panel of pretty much everything, hormones, um, uh, yeah. uh, micronutrients, macro, every, the whole shebang, muscle mass, uh, adipose tissue, the whole shebang. You can pretty much, bone yeah. density, everything. Not only can you do it once, it's so cheap that you can do this idea of like a biographic, bio, biological passport where you literally you get every year you can, or every six months or every three months, you can get um, these diagnostics and you can see what's working or not. You can say, listen, for the yeah. next three months, I'm going to start doing a cardiovascular exercise three times a week. And then uh, you go back and you check next quarter and you're like, wow, all of my vitals have improved. That's fantastic. Let me yeah. do some more of that. Oh, I decided to cut off, you know, this from my diet or add this to my diet. Oh, it actually, you know, a good example of this um, that I actually um, discovered way back when before I even would, uh, this was when I was much younger, but in order to make weight for competition, stuff that we talked about before, we would go on yeah, to these yeah. like sort of crash diets. And yeah. all that meant was like straight up, just don't eat anything. It was that simple. It was, yeah, we it was understood the principle. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of water, no food. <laughs> yeah. The, the principle of just caloric restriction, just don't eat anything. It was that simple. Yeah. yeah. But it, it turned out like not all macros are created equal. Like if you just wanted to go on a crash diet, which is not something that I recommend anybody does, but there are, ways that are safer than other ways. For example, if you just completely destroy your um, carbohydrate intake and you're in a 50%, 60%, 70% caloric deficit, what that does is, yes, you will lose weight, 
you will also lose muscle mass, but let's say for a second you're not worried about muscle mass. What it will do, which most people don't realize, is it will also drop your free testosterone if you're male. Um, it drops your free testosterone a lot, so your hormonal levels just uh, absolutely tank. That's a that's yeah. a problem because that actually affects performance. That's a bad thing, yeah. Yeah, that affects performance much more than you think, right? Uh, uh, yeah. You can be very lethargic. You can, you can have you know very difficulty sleeping. You will not perform on the day that you need to perform, and that I actually learned firsthand yeah. when. I remember like, I, you know, you'd make weight, but then come competition day, you literally cannot perform. Performance is down 20, 30%, yeah. not just like some, yeah. some minute value. So it's like, okay, this, this defeats the purpose. So you're yeah. like, okay, so maybe I shouldn't do uh, severe caloric restriction. And then I was like, okay, well, what about uh, intermediate caloric restriction? Like it's not, you know, let's say like 20%. Is that too much? Is that too little? Well, you can watch your, your muscle mass, your lean muscle mass, how much you're able to put on your skin essentially your skeleton per unit time and you know you hone in on what the right caloric deficit that you need to be and it turns out not a lot like 10 percent is plenty in order to lose adipose yeah. tissue and and not be catabolic and same is true not with sort of adding <clears throat> lean muscle mass you don't actually need this idea of like you see it all over the internet dirty bulking right this idea that you just eat as much food as you can get as big as possible and then somehow you're able to trim it down turns out it doesn't work anything beyond like a, a 15 or 20% caloric surplus, useless. All you do is you just literally get fat. And then you're going to spend the next six months trying to get rid of that fat with absolutely no gain in function or in uh, um, like lean contractile tissue. So, okay, useless. Things that you learn by experimenting on yourself and then obviously reading the literature as well. And measuring. Okay, yeah. people, have, people have studied this and have found, okay, this is useful. This is not so useful. So, but these are all individual decisions. Never, never does yeah. one say, "Oh, well, I just need somebody to tell me what to do and just do it," because then you, there's no agency, there's no responsibility. But you also spend the time to study about that, right? You you learn, you educate, you 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 experiment, you measure, um, and I think. Yeah, I think, you know, just as, as a human species, we need to do that, right? How do we optimize our performance? And in some cases, I'm interested in my physical, you know, capability or my, you know, my, 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 yeah, my physical, my, my body, my, my, my brain, right? I'm really interested in that. Others would be maybe more interested in their artistic skills or, you know, but I think either way, you just constantly, oh, if I mix these colors together, I don't know, but I think, how do we train that in humans, right? And educate that's what education should be about. Well, I think ideally it's about pointing people to the result of the process. They say, listen, if you want positive outcomes, you need to be genuinely curious. You need to take things into your own matters, into yeah. your own hands. And if you do, very likely a positive outcome will come of it. That is really all you need to enshrine in people. The rest, the rest is is they'll do on their own. There's this uh, quote that I really like. Uh, the, um, There's no expedient to which a man will not resort to avoid the real labor of thinking, right? Or this idea that a lot of work will save us a little bit of thinking, right? So yeah. all you have to do is just sit there and think about it for a reason, right? And yeah. then make structured yeah. decisions based on that. And it's okay to get it wrong. Yeah. You will almost certainly get it wrong. But then at some point, you will re yeah, like definitely. revert and reverse course, and then you will get it right. It's just, it's how empiricism works, right? And again, barring yeah. that you straight up expire, you should be able to figure most of these things out. And the same is true with everything. The, the beauty about just nutritional science and performance is it's so quantitative 
and the results are so immediate or almost immediate. Yeah. It's just very easy. Like it's you, easy. Yeah, it's very easy. I, I, I change my diet a little bit. I go look at my markers. I go look at my weight. I can look at the mirror. The mirror never lies, right? The scale sometimes, you know, you can put on lots of weight. You can lose lots of weight, but the mirror never lies, right? My mirror. <laughs> so, Damn, fuck. The mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the prettiest yeah. of them all? I thought it always well, told me me, man. Like, come on. <laughs> funny enough, funny enough for males, actually, a good example, a, a good uh, a heuristic for um uh, body fat percentage is just the the fat that's accumulated like subcutaneous around the belly around the abdominal muscles so you don't need a fancy dexa scan you don't need calipers you don't need any of that it's literally like uh, can you see more of Measure. your abdominal muscles like good old <laughs> there's just something i've been noticing for a while if you've heard this idea like bro science or like gym science yeah it, it, it is which it's just it refers to this idea of like empirical results that people have converged on even though there's no like real scientific studies and a lot of it intuitively or directionally tends to be correct and it's just because it's based on the simple empirical process and you go back and you look at like okay what is a good uh, uh predictor of like body fat percentage you can be like, well i could do a dexa scan i can do uh this i could do caliper testing i could do whatever or you just look in the mirror and look at your abdominal muscles. And if you can see them, you know, if they're more defined, then you have low body fat percentage. It, it's really that simple. And we did full circle just to go back and show you that that's a good, that's a good measure of that. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to switch the topic a little bit around um, this, you know, and, and innovation and, and coming back to that, right? And I think... A lot of it leads into education, leads to the thinking, the debating, et cetera, right? We've just seen this whole new wave of AI come in, right? It's a huge fad now. I mean, we've had it come in waves, right? We've had AI, you know, with DeepMind. We've had, you know, this video, AlphaGo, right? Beating, you know, et cetera. And now we're back at it again. AI is all the hot topic and all the hot rage. Um, and I look at all, you know... Um, the growth associated with this, right? And we've had crypto and uh, we're constantly, and then I see all the conversations that are happening around AI. You see the fact that a, a lot of people are excited about it. Look what you can do. Look at all the opportunities. Oh my God. And then you have to be, Oh, oh, hang on. But it can be used for bad. It's bad. It's going to take away jobs. It's going to steal my, you know, all these new jobs it's going to create. So all of a sudden there's this huge debate about what do we need to put in terms of regulation to stop it again? It's like, so how do we slow it down? How do we stop it? Right. And it's like, but how, and number one, starting up a business and getting, you know, startups going is really hard, right? It's not easy. It's tough. It's a hard slog. It's all of this. You can't do it on your own anymore. And then all of a sudden you, you got to make it even harder. Right. So it's like, it's like, it's such a, we're, we're so afraid of, forward of, of 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 momentum right it's it's evolution actually we're afraid of evolution we're well, afraid of evolving why i mean the natural sense of uncertainty it's like i i haven't even figured out my life now and now you're throwing a wrench in this whole operation you're saying that the job that i'm trying to to find in 10 years won't even <laughs> won't even be there by the time i get there it's fuck like, me <laughs> So you but, can but, see but nothing's uncertain. I mean, it's like, course. I don't even, I never, you're constantly learning, right? I mean, of course, it's like, of course. That's part, uh, unless, of, literally part of growing up, learning to live with uncertainty and learning to like, that is a good thing, right? Imagine that you were, yeah. imagine that you were building your entire life 
around this idea that you you're going to be you know riding horses and then you become yeah. a very you know, a person exactly. that, that can really ride horses and yeah. then it's like well I have something for you that no longer requires you to uh, use horses at all the uh, r- like rudimentary simple minded answer would be well that's a shame because yeah. I, I really only know how to drive horses but the yeah. um, sophisticated and uh, perhaps correct answer would be well hold on if these horses are going to increase my productivity you know orders of magnitude it's, beyond it's yeah, yeah. what yeah. i had regardless of how good of a horse driver i was and it will do it uh, uh uh with everyone around me well that's much better and that's just the nature of progress and how do i channel the skills that i've learned previously in order to adapt it to this brave new world, right? In order to become, to accelerate. So I mean, now, funny enough, I really understand the principles of locomotion. Maybe not for cars, but I do understand this uh, principle of friction. I do understand um, this idea of like resonant frequencies, how I stay on a horse. It turns out like the reason why you can stay on the horse is fundamentally the same reason why you build springs or suspension systems in cars, right? You need a sort of natural frequency so you're not, if it's too fast or it's too slow, you won't be able to stay on the horse. It's the same with the car. If it's yeah. if it's uh, too slow, it does nothing. If it's too fast, then you're sort of bouncing around and you feel in the car. So, okay, these are the same yeah. underlying physical principles. Interesting. Okay, so I can use that knowledge. I can use that intuition. Okay? Well, I mean, yeah. we even use some of the, we even talk about, how do we talk about the power of an engine? We talk about horsepower. Right? Horsepower. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, these ideas aren't even removed completely. They're, they're related. So how do I move beyond that? Instead of the, the, the Luddite approach would just to be completely rejected. But going back to the, again, this AI, this AI business, I mean, I, I, I was around for at least, or not around, but I was like cognizant of at least three different cycles of, you know, people getting excited about sort of AI. Yeah. Um, and it, it made its way everywhere. Um, financial sector is pretty obvious, but then it also made its, its way, like IBM, I don't know if people know this, but IBM Watson like the the engines that were developed yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, way back when chess. actually yeah, yeah. for chess they made their way commercially uh, and they were a complete flop they're actually they made their way into the healthcare system for hundreds of millions of dollars and then at the end actually turned to be a complete flop and they dropped it i don't know if most people to realize this but it took a long time people to develop it and even longer time to adopt it only to realize it was only marginally effective and very expensive and so they sort of moved on so all of that is to say temper your expectations but don't temper your optimism. There's a, there's a difference, right? You can you can understand the state of the technology uh, today, and you can maybe project what it's going to look like tomorrow, and build towards that future. Build applications that leverage the parts that we know are useful, and then perhaps the speculative parts. You can say, well, you know, it's TBD, right? But there's the only thing that's guaranteed in this space, and pretty much any technological space, is that whatever we know now, we know today a good fraction of it will be obsolete, if not incorrect, in five or 10 years. So try and find the core principles of, of um, AI, ML, cryptography, whatever, that are going to stay around. I mean, there are good examples of this. When we talk about uh, zero-knowledge proofs, which is like uh, the, the, yeah. you, you have, a, you know, AI is pretty exciting on the, um, on the tech side, on the crypto side. ZK proofs are pretty popular yeah. um, and pretty exciting, but... We know a lot of it has, will change and it has changed in the last, like there has been two or three different paradigms already just in the last decade. Yeah. But we, there are a few core ideas that we know will continue to exist. You know, you have this uh, um, inter, like IOP essentially and a uh, PCS, this is like a, a polynomial commitment scheme and an interactive Oracle protocol. These two 
sort of primitives together, you can use them to produce a snark or this idea of like a, uh, a ZK proof or a validity proof or whatever. Um, yeah. The exact details of the implementation, whether the, po the polynomial commitment schemes, they're going to stay the way they are or we're going to invent completely new schemes or whether they're even useful or how, how we go about implementing like the IOPs, all of that will change. It's subject to change and has changed. In fact, the breakthroughs that we had today in some of the leading uh, companies in the space have, have been innovations on those sides. They, like the paradigm that we thought was going to happen in 2015 is not where we are today. But the structure of it is sort of stayed the same. So that, that, would be, like, that would be the synopsis or my synopsis. Uh, understand the core parts of it that are probably here to stay and then the, the features that are definitely going to change. And then yep. you know, proceed with caution. Like the, a very good example of this is the immediate reaction to, um, oh, ChatGPT is going to kill Google, it's going to kill everything, we're done. Everybody go yeah, home, yeah. we're completely done. Um, <laughs> and they're going to have monopoly on it and it's just, that's it, right? Now, and, uh, first of all, of course the answer is no, because that's just not how, no. how markets work. Second of all, what, what happened the second you had uh, GPT like ChatGPT launch with, from OpenAI and reach 100 million users in two months? Within the span of two months, you had, for, like before it was announced and used, you had nothing, or at least yeah. nothing in the, in the public markets. Of course, all this stuff was well known to people that are working in the space was, and it's yeah. relatively yeah. gradual. But to the public knowledge, essentially nothing. Um, then you had ChatGPT, and then by today, we're already, we have Baidu uh, the, announcing its platform, China. We have uh, Quora. If you've used the Quora one, it's actually really good. In my opinion, the user yeah. interface is excellent. It's called, um, it's called Poe, uh, I assume yeah. uh, named after Edgar Allan Poe. Um, you have, obviously, you have Google announced uh, today. They just the debarred. Yeah, they yeah. announced their version. So, okay, immediately, what did we see? We saw product market fit, and then we saw three competitors in the span of two months. Yeah. Okay, so immediate exactly. com commoditization, just like that, okay? Yeah. And, and, um, uh, I think Replit is, is effective. I mean, Replit, is, I believe, is built on uh, OpenAI tech. So it's very similar to ChatGPT, except it was, you had to pay for it, right? ChatGPT yeah. is sort, it's kind of free, but not really. It's like sort of free. It's not even open sourced. And now you have versions that are completely free in the sense that they're like, there's no token limitations or very limited token limitations. You pretty much do whatever. There's no limitations on the querying or on the type of answers that you get. There are already variations of it that exist that don't censor anything. So like literally in the span of two months, you had nothing and now you have an entire zoo of uh, applications. A tsunami and selection. of different, yeah. Okay, so to say that but there's that, going to be a, a, a winner take call, I mean, it's completely ridiculous. But just to that point, you know, so so Microsoft put in like, I don't know, $10 billion into chat GPT or 6 billion or however much it was. And, and then you see, you know, Google come out. You even see Quora have a whole AI solution, right? You've got Baidu. Everybody's been able to come out with, look, we've got a competition. We've come up with our own solution around how to do this and how to work with this, right? And does that mean that Microsoft didn't have – I mean, Microsoft has a whole bunch of AI services, right? I mean, they had – you know, so so why, why did they need the chat GPT investment to help was that just to give them the perception and leverage the branding to move the needle and, and help pump their stock? I mean, their stock no, went up after that investment, right? And almost certainly not. Every everyone in the space has been like has been working on these features yeah, for a very right? long time. I mean, you you have even yeah. even at Google. I mean, Google is the if you just look at the just by sheer amount of academic publications, if you just look at uh, uh, the leaderboard, Google is by far 
orders of magnitude, head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, they've been working on this for very above long Above everybody time. else, right? It's just a matter yeah. of productization, right? How, how do you produce a product? And so yep. they, they, they're just going to switch on that, that, that key and that's it. It's really no, but that, no big deal. But, but again, to your point, right? And then I come back to look at what, what Elon's done with Twitter and stuff like that, right? You have, and, and to your argument around economics and, and, and productivity, right? Using the tools for productivity. We've had, and, and uh, does that show to me that actually the tech industry in Silicon Valley has become lazy and fat and, and, and not adapting anymore, you know, because they've just become complacent, worried about, you know, making sure mediocrity kicks in. We don't want to be t- pushing the needle too much, right? Because, you know, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you have Elon Musk change up Twitter with 2,000 people. He's now changed it up. We've got new features coming left, right, and center with productivity efficiencies and gains, and now he's scaling into the new market. All of a sudden, chat GPT comes, a competitor comes out of left field. Whoa, you know, we need to switch on the dial again. Productization kicks in. We get rid of 12,000 people. We've got to keep on our toes again, right? And so all of a sudden, those competitive spirits come forward, and then execution, results, delivery actually kicks in, right? No more protection it's, behind some legal barriers and, and, and oh, regulation and, and, you know, sort of, yeah. Mark, markets come in cycles and it's, it's, it's exactly that. You spend, you spend a decade going one way only to realize that like my killer feature, my killer product was actually somewhere else and then somebody's yeah. going to beat me to the punch and the second you switch that mentality, you're like, okay, ready to go. And literally the best, I was thinking about this today, I was on TFL, I was thinking yeah. about this and the best example of this, and it's going to sound weird, but it, the analogies are uncanny. Uh, the the power slap, the slap fighting league that I, I mentioned to you. I don't know if you know what. Oh, yeah. What yeah. the fuck is that? Does that okay. What is that? Where the hell did that come from? Slap, okay. Slap, to, any, to anyone who's not initiated with the brutality of people slapping each other, uh, Dana White, who's the president of the UFC, one of the founders of the modern UFC, has yeah. invested in this thing called like power slap league or something, which is... It's exactly what it sounds. Two people stand in front of each other, uh, holding on to a table like you would with arm wrestling. Except instead of arm wrestling, you slap each other. Okay, haymakers, just absolute fucking. Let's do it, right? <laughs> um, and it's like, first of all, okay, let's take a step back. This seems interesting, right? It seems that like as a product, it seems kind of bizarre. But let's take a step back and reflect what you were saying about like how do you reinvent the product, um, the product, the productization, the offering. How does that change, you know, every decade or every once in a while? You had this guy who essentially learned from the ground up that the lessons learned from the UFC were as follows. A, we had an issue with the product offering. We didn't know what people wanted to watch versus what they didn't want to watch. We initially thought it was going to be a one-off event called the Ultimate Fighting Championship, period. Then they realized people are interested in watching this on a recurring basis. So let's make a series out yeah. of it. Then we realized yeah. they actually really want to watch uh, the reality television trash talk aspect of it. So we made a whole separate series. Then we realized we don't actually need to be a separate series. That's too long. It costs too much. We just need people to shit talk in television. So, okay, let's do that. Yeah. Let's bring on people to do that. Okay. So the, the offering is sort of continuously changing. We don't know how to price it. First, we thought pay-per-view is fine. Then we got it legalized. So we got it on national television, but then we realized, okay, the way these things are done is actually using bundles. So I have to go to Disney or ESPN or whatever, or Fox, and then sign up with them. So that's a different pricing model. And then we came back and realized people sort of lost interest in that. So what what are really what are people interested in in the 
uh, UFC. He realized, uh, Dana White realized the following. People are really interested in like the money shots, like people getting knocked out, people getting submitted. They're not interested yeah. in watching yeah. five rounds or three rounds of five minutes. No, no, no. They're interested yeah. in the money shots. People just getting <laughs> money shots. Yeah, that's it. You, you, and if you if you think about it, that's what all people watch. If you go to YouTube, if you go to uh, yeah, yeah, TikTok, yeah. wherever, if you look at the highlight reels, that's what all people are watching. Now, here is the yeah. interesting bit. If you look at the the uh, power slap numbers, they are uh, uh, on TikTok. And this is very important on TikTok, which uh, uh, shows like 10 second videos, their numbers, their viewership, yeah. they're beating the UFC, they're beating WWE, they're, they're on top. Pound for pound, people are watching that more than anything else. Why do you yeah. think that is? Why do you think that is? Because he realized the insight there was people are there to watch a concentrated, uh, uh, frequent uh, people getting their uh, heads bashed. Okay. That's what people, that's people want to see. And then he realized, okay. How do I, what is the condensed version of that? It's literally two people standing in front of each other and trying to slap each other into oblivion, right? And if you, if you just think about the, like the structural issues that the UFC had when it started, they're pretty much like three different categories. One was the no platform or venue to do this, right? We said they weren't even, we talked about this in, uh, yeah, in episode four, right? We, yeah. uh, there was no venue to this. Banned in 48 states. You literally couldn't even get it on television. You had no idea how to yeah. advertise it or even promote it, right? The second was the regulatory aspect. They didn't even know if any of this was legal, underground fighting, whatever, and how it would be sanctioned yeah. as a sport, the commissions. The third part was the actual offering of the product. Like, what rules should we use? Should we use the Japanese rules? Should you kick people in the head while on the ground, like soccer kicks? Should we use boxing rules? Should we use wrestling rules? What are the length of the bouts? One uh, minute, three minutes, five yeah. minutes? Um, what are weight divisions? Because now you have an interesting problem. You know, boxing has established weight divisions. Wrestling has established weight divisions. But now you have a sport that has these two things together. And they're different. Yeah. So how do I unify these? Or, you know, what's the optimal weight division? How do I do matchmaking? Okay. Now I have, it's understood. Matchmaking is relatively simple. When it's a one-dimensional sport with boxing. Oh, this guy's a defensive fighter. This guy likes to throw haymakers. Very aggressive. I'll put him against that. We'll see what happens. It's relatively easy to do matchmaking. But now you have multiple dimensions. This guy can grapple. This guy can do jujitsu, this guy can strike, this guy can talk shit. So like matchmaking is a, it's a very different problem. He took all of these lessons and realized, okay, I can bootstrap all of this thing with the <laughs> UFC platform. What is the number one pr platform that, that monetizes and promotes slap fighting? It's actually the UFC. Who are yeah, the, sure. Yeah, it's all UFC. You can see the branding the, yeah, in the background. Who are the referees in those fights? Yeah. UFC, UFC referees. referees. Who, who are Same the promoters? <laughs> who are the promoters and the and the actual announcers of the, of the slap fighting artists, <laughs> former UFC fighters, <laughs> or current commentators? Okay, so we see we see that this yeah. is not actually like if you just take again the the sort of luddite approach, very simple. Oh, this is human cockfighting. This is whatever. This is simplistic, brutal, whatever. And you realize, hold on, when did they? When did people say this before? Well, they were saying this about the UFC just 20 years earlier, except now he has a venue or a platform to monetize it. He has a regulatory path forward. It's very simple. Like these commissions, they're not particularly sophisticated. They're not going to go out of their way to define slap fighting as a new sport and come up with its own rules. They're just going to say, okay, fuck it. This looks just very similar to boxing. Two people standing in front of each other, hitting each other. All we need to sanction is pretty much the same thing we need to do to sanction boxing. Easy enough. And then... More importantly, now I've already figured out the formula for like matchmaking and 
weight divisions, all of that. I figured that in the UFC, which is sort of unorthodox fighting. You've got all of these features. Same person who figured it out 20 years ago is the same person that's promoting this new sort of product. Absolutely genius, in my opinion. And here's my bet. I bet you this thing becomes extraordinarily popular. And it's only been live for, at least with the affiliation with, um, with Dana White, it's only been live for, I think, a month or two. And it's already it's already breaking it's already the, up the there. numbers in terms of viewership. So what, what does that teach us? Bootstrapping is very important. Understanding the target audience and the marketplace, very important. Understanding the regulatory implications of what you're trying to do and how you, you – there's two ways to do it. You can like um, just go ahead and do it and apologize later and worry about the repercussions later. Or you can say, okay, what is the closest regulatory framework that I have now that is close enough that I can build for it so that when it, the product comes out, it is not so out of left field that nobody knows what to do about it. It's not far-fetched, yeah. And most importantly, how can I take it to market with the least cost yeah. as possible, right? How can I bootstrap this thing, take it into market, start producing revenue, start getting users? How can I do it in the cheapest way possible, leveraging what we already have today? Let's not reinvent the wheel. All of this, ladies and gentlemen, is manifested in two people standing in front of each other, slapping the shit out of each other. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 but it's also the constant evolution, right? He never stood still, right? He, like you mentioned, just all of this scenario, where it started off, how it evolved, right? How it evolved, how it then tried out different different models, um, and 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 each one helped it grow and identify new opportunities, and every little bit helped it move the needle further and further to where we are today it's down to the raw basics of it right it's just slap slap right i mean but is, in essence, it car racing should just be smash into the wall i tell you what it's like hockey hockey figured hockey figured out that people are tuning yeah. in for the fights yeah. and guess what they did they were like let them fight yeah yeah let them fight right it's like so, uh, now somehow we don't fight anymore. It's like, not, not as much, but it, it's it's interesting. I think that that something so simple could be undermined by by relatively sophisticated principles, and I think it's something to watch out for. And it's very important on the venture side and in general on the startup side to like lessons learned. How do you get to market very quickly? How do you reduce your costs? How do you understand your target audience? Yeah. You, you are, the, how do you understand the regulatory landscape? How you bootstrap it? Bootstrap it? Bootstrap it? Yeah, extremely important. Exactly. And, and 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 again and not and the most important thing from an investor perspective is to not be a luddite and not be um, dismissive of things because they don't fit your intellectual framework or they don't at the surface sound because again literally it's just so amusing to me because the people who I heard people who are former UFC fighters calling this thing oh it's just human cockfighting nobody wants to see that I'm like dude people were saying this about you 20 years ago. You you were literally doing that. That was that was the rise of mixed martial arts. It was exactly the same. And the fact that you can't see it inf- tells us one more thing. That tells us previously successful investors or previously successful startup founders don't necessarily like uh, past performance is no guarantee of future performance. No, even it's if no it's crime. even yeah, if it's probably. identical, like, it's literally an identical yeah. problem that you've worked on. No guarantee that you'll even understand it. Yeah. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, no, I think, I know, and, and I think you, I mean, yeah, you know, in your position, you see a lot of these trends and you invest in, in a lot of different, it's not easy, right? Picking the right, the right 
opportunities and then identifying the right entrepreneurs that are going to move the needle and constantly think about how to evolve it, how to go through those phases. And I wonder, actually, it'd be interesting to do an analysis on that, right? You start up faster market, down again, new model, new market testing, right? Probing. I mean, it, it, that it's a whole different um, process, if you will, right? Innovation process cycle. But keep, keep a journal. To get to... Yeah, but keep, yeah. A, keep a journal. Uh, uh, make sure you learn from the past and make sure you remain intellectually humble and intellectually honest. Yep. And yep. that is the recipe. And continuing to like always... Like, be a student of the market and not just say, well, I already understand this thing and I'm just going to move on as if I understand it. That I think is the lesson. Yeah, and, and that's the, that's, and, and it, it takes time, right? I mean, you, you got to keep at it, right? I mean, you look at UFC, how long is UFC? I mean, we were like Macy, when was those movies? They were done in the nineties, you know, eighties, nineties, yeah. right? So, so you look, it's 40 years of evolution, right? And, and continuous innovation, continuously working it, not sitting still, um yeah yeah well with, with that we are just past the hour and i actually yep. have to pop off so thanks everyone like always and we'll see you next week see, see you next week guys um always good thanks so much see ya